The news this week has been full of images of the tragedy unfolding in Afghanistan as the U.S. and NATO allies exit another country in the Middle East. In February 2020, the Trump administration negotiated a withdrawal agreement with the Taliban. It would see America's remaining 13,000 troops leave, 5,000 imprisoned Taliban soldiers freed, and set a date of May 1, 2021 for the final withdrawal. The agreement was concluded without the Afghan government. As America's withdrew, the Taliban violated the agreement and attacked Afghan government forces and began conquering territory. By September of 2020, all the Taliban prisoners were released, a condition that was required before peace talks could begin between the Taliban government and the Afghan government. By January, American forces in Afghanistan had been drawn down to 2,500. Now, at the end of March, President Joe Biden announced the delay of the withdrawal of U.S. troops until the end of August, reiterating this on April 14th, stating it was time for America to end its forever war. In response to this, the Taliban released a statement stating the failure of America to complete its withdrawal by May 1st opens the way for the Taliban to take every necessary countermeasure. Hence, the American side will be held responsible for all future consequences, end quote. By July 6, America had pulled out of the Bagram airfield, the largest airbase in Afghanistan. As the American and Allied troops withdrew, the Taliban overthrew government forces at a speed that surprised almost everyone. By the end of July, the Taliban had taken over 40% of the country. On August 6, the Taliban took control of an entire province. By, the, by August 15th, the Taliban entered the capital, Kabul, causing U.S. diplomats to be evacuated from its embassy by helicopter. The former Afghan president, Ashraf Ghani, fled as the presidential palace was overtaken by the Taliban. With the collapse of the Afghanistan government, President Biden made the following statement. The truth is, this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. We spent over a trillion dollars We trained and equipped an Afghan military force of some 300,000 strong, incredibly well-equipped, a force larger in size than the militaries of many of our NATO allies. We gave them every tool they could need. We paid their salaries, provided for the maintenance of their air force, something the Taliban doesn't have. Taliban does not have an air force. We provided close air support. We gave them every chance to determine their own future. We could not provide them was the will to fight for that future.
The shocking collapse of the Afghan government and the complete underestimation of American officials has left the world with mouths wide open. U.S. House of Representative Congressman Jim Banks laid the blame for the collapse on the Biden administration and stated the fallout about the Taliban's newly acquired military abilities. My job there was as a foreign military sales officer, so I was on the front lines of acquiring the equipment that the Americans provided and turned over to the Afghan army and the Afghan police. I want to read to you um, what uh, is so painful for me and so many other, other Afghan veterans who served in that capacity and others who served as a part of the train, advise, and assist, equip effort uh, in helping the Afghans. We now know that due to the negligence of this administration, the Taliban now has access to over $85 billion worth of American military equipment. That includes 75,000 vehicles, over 200 airplanes and helicopters, over 600,000 small arms and light weapons. The Taliban now has more Black Hawk helicopters than 85% of the countries in the world. But they don't just have weapons. They also have night vision goggles, body armor, medical supplies, and unbelievably, unfathomable to to me and so many others, is that the Taliban now has biometric devices, which have the fingerprints, eye scans, and the biographical information of the Afghans who helped us over the last 20 years. And here's what we just learned again in the briefing that we just walked out of. Is this, this administration still has no plan to get this military equipment or these supplies back. The enormity of this cache of weapons falling into the hands of the Taliban cannot be lost on us. This makes them one of the most well-armed regimes in the entire region. Those Afghans who have been trained to fly this equipment will be quickly falling into allegiance with the new government for fear of reprisal. The fear of this rapid reversal and rearming of the Taliban in the region is having repercussions in all the neighboring states. Then, on Thursday of this week, two suicide bombers and gunmen attacked crowds of Afghans congregated at the Kabul airport, killing over 116 Afghans desperate to flee and 13 U.S. service personnel guarding the area. The catastrophe in this country is a symptom of the greater collapse of U.S. influence in the region. Now, as we consider the geopolitical fallout, we are not unmindful of the personal tragedies that are occurring in the region as this brutal Taliban regime regains control. Our hearts go out to the people now under the brutally oppressive regime once again. Our focus in this broadcast is to look at the bigger picture and to see the hand of God as nations are moved to fulfill his will in bringing all nations down to Israel, where he will put an end to man's selfish rule and reveal himself to to the world once and for all, as we read in Ezekiel 38, verse 16. Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days that I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. Now, Afghanistan is positioned towards Russia's southern flank, its underbelly, and during the days of the Soviet Union was its southern neighbor. Afghanistan is surrounded by Pakistan, Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and China. 
Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Tajikistan were all part of the Soviet Empire and gained independence with the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. Turkmenistan shares the Caspian Sea as a border with Russia. While it cast itself as officially neutral, it signed a strategic partnership agreement with Russia in October in 2017. Turkmenistan is a country rich in natural gas resources. Uzbekistan also borders the Caspian Sea, sharing a border with Russia. It is also rich in natural gas and has gigantic power-generating stations left over from the Soviet era. Uzbekistan was supported by the U.S., and the U.S. operated an air force base out of the country until July 2005, when the Uzbek government ordered them to leave. The country has very close ties with the Russian Federation. Tajikistan is another state bordering Afghanistan that is friendly with Russia, who maintains a large military base in Dushanbe, the country's largest city. Russia is the official language. 50% of Tajikistan's GDP comes from Tajik citizens who travel and work in Russia. And Tajikistan has asked Russia to help secure, uh, help with security due to the large number of Afghan refugees who have fled to the country following the success of the Taliban in July of this year. Now above these lies Kazakhstan, another country that was part of the USSR. It was the last state to leave the Soviet Union and join the Commonwealth of Independent States shortly after in 1991, along with neighboring Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. Russia maintains a base here as well. The Kazakh Air Force is receiving a fresh shipment of Russian fighters, as reported by the National Interest magazine this week. Work continues to implement a contract on delivery of another batch of four such fighters to our Kazakh partners by the end of 2022. So far, 20 advanced Su-30 SM fighters have been delivered to the Republic of Kazakhstan, said the director of Russia's Federal Services for Military Technical Cooperation on Wednesday. The Kazakh Air Defense Forces ordered and received 24 SUSM Flanker H fighters from 2015 to 2018, with an additional batch procured in 2020. End quote. Well, the collapse of the U.S. influence in the area is welcomed by Russia, as the Japanese newspaper Nikia reported. As the Taliban takes over in Afghanistan, Russia has appointed itself as a mediator in a war-torn country, underlying its position as a key stakeholder and hardly hitting its desire to expand its influence in the region to fill the power vacuum left by the retreating U.S. military. Russian President Vladimir Putin recently trolled Western countries and their dismal efforts to establish a democratic government in Afghanistan. He said, I think many politicians in the West are starting to come to grips with the reality that it is unacceptable to impose alien standards of political life and conduct on other countries and nations. The president said during an April 20th news conference after talks with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. The article went on to report, In another sign the Kremlin has been preparing itself for the Taliban's return to power, President Putin's special envoy to Afghanistan, Zamir Kablov, said Moscow has been working to establish contacts with the Taliban movement for the last seven years. He added that Russia anticipated the Taliban would play a leading role in the future of Afghanistan. 
Moscow has designated the Taliban as a terrorist organization and outlawed it within Russia. Still, the government unofficially welcomed a Taliban delegation in Moscow in July. Russia is reaping the rewards for its years of careful preparations for a diplomatic offensive in the event of a U.S. retreat from the country. As indicated in his intervention in the Syrian civil war, Putin's aims is to have a major footprint in the region. The Kremlin has already started using its power to influence the situation in Afghanistan. End quote. Well, as America is withdrawing, Russia is reasserting its ring of influence, as the Nikkei article went on to describe. Since the Taliban began to gain ground in early August, the Russian military has conducted joint drills with Uzbek, Tajik, and Chinese forces in the areas bordering Afghanistan. Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, two of the five former Soviet republics in Central Asia, are seen by Moscow as part of its sphere of influence. Russia has also a military alliance with Tajikistan. All these countries fear that the Taliban or other Muslim militants hiding out in Afghanistan may capitalize on the current confusion to infiltrate their territory, disrupting border areas. Through the military exercises, Russia has garnered international recognition as the guardian of the Central Asian nations, end quote. Well, Russia is very interested in the collapse of America's influence, falling like dominoes in these areas. Now, Iran is also extremely invested in America's withdrawal. American troops in Afghanistan meant American troops on its border, as Afghanistan is Iran's eastern border. Iran is the former headquarters of the Persian Empire. Iran and Russia are strategic allies, as we have, di- as we have discussed many times on the Bible in the News. It is openly hostile to the West, and especially America and Israel. In 1979, the Islamic Revolution overthrew the Western-backed government of the Shah, and the country has been an enemy of America ever since. Iran and Russia joined efforts in preventing the overthrow of Bashir Assad in Assyria, and a large Iranian force has built up in southern Syria. Next to Iran is Iraq, the former home of the Babylonian Empire, and was part of the Ottoman Empire until it was taken over by the British Empire and granted independence in 1932. It was ruled by the Hashemite monarchy under British protection and influence until the coup in 1947, following which there was a series of governments that were overthrown by coups until the Ba'ath movement was established, which was eventually controlled by Saddam Hussein. Following the Islamic Revolution in Iran, Iraq fought a bitter war with Iran until 1988. In 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait, which resulted in the first Gulf War. The second Gulf War was fought following the September 11th attacks, resulting in the overthrow of Saddam in 2003 on December 18, 2011. The U.S. fully withdrew from Iraq, and the country descended into civil war shortly thereafter. In 2014, large swaths of land were captured by ISIS, and Iraq called on outside governments to help them with ISIS, and Russia was quick to jump in. America followed and signed an agreement with Iraq to help eliminate ISIS. But Russia had already got a foothold and exploited the development of natural resources in both Iraq and Kurdistan. ISIS forces were destroyed by December 2017, and on January 2020th, the Iraqi parliament voted for a resolution to expel U.S. troops from Iraq following its assassination of the Iranian General Qassem Soleimani on Iraqi soil. 
Iraq turned to Russia for the purchase of tanks and was discussing the purchase of the S-400 missile system recently. Russia has signed an intelligence-sharing agreement between itself, Syria, and Iraq. As Ben Conable, the American military strategist, put it, Russia will move like water into the cracks and crevices left by the partial U.S. withdrawal and the lack of focused U.S. policy. Well, to the east of Iraq is Syria. Syria has been Russia's foothold in the Middle East since the glory days of the Soviet Union. The Soviets evacuated their fleets from Egypt to its naval ports of Tartus in Syria in 1977. When the Soviet Union collapsed and the Mediterranean fleet ceased to exist in 1992, the base fell into disrepair. But in 2005, Russia became Syria's main arms supplier and began to rebuild the port and service to serve its fifth operational squadron. With the Syrian crisis, the Tartus port has become a supply line for Russia. Russia also operates the Khamenei uh, Air Base in Syria and has access to the Tyus and Shirat Air Bases. Russia has stepped in to prop up the Syrian regime, flying sorties against enemies of Bashir Assad, as well as making Western actions against him almost impossible, as Russia's troops are now mixed in with Assad's. Russia also took actions to block further U.S. action through the United Nations. Russia continues to be Syria's ally, not because Syria is worth, but because of its desire to reduce America's influence in the Middle East. Now, when you step back and assess what's happening over this past decade, it becomes very clear. America has lost influence in Iran going all the way back to 1979. Iraq in 2011 forced to withdraw all its troops in 2020 and now Afghanistan in 2021. America is rapidly losing its post-Cold War gains, and Russia is increasing its influence according to the biblical model prescribed by the prophets, prophecies Bible students have been closely following for hundreds of years. Now, Daniel paints a clear picture of a two blocks of power that have existed since Daniel's time, but will come back into focus in the latter days, or in the times of the end, as he calls it. In Daniel 11, verse 40, we read, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horses and many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon, and he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Clearly, there is a northern block and a southern block of power, a king of the north and a king of the south. America has had a lot of influence to the north after the collapse of the Soviet Union in that post-war era. That influence has been seeping away like sand through the fingers, and now its influence is held almost entirely in the south. It is still in alliance with the geographical area of Edom, Moab, and Aben, which speak to the modern-day Jordan. Now, Ezekiel paints a similar picture of the northern confederacy under the control of Gog. We read in Ezekiel 38, starting at verse 2, Son of man, set thy face against the land of Mago, the chief of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God. 
Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, put hooks in thy jaws, and bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tagarma, the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. End quote. Well, the nations described here speak to Russia proper, in Rosh, in Meshach, the Muscovites, Tubal, the Tobolsk region, and the land of Magog, an area compromising ancient Scythia from the Caspian and Black Sea north and stretching west of the river Danube. Also, Europe, where the tribes of Gomer are settled. Allied with them are Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, along with Tagarma. Persia, of course, is Iran. Ethiopia and Libya we recognize. Tagarma is the region between the Black and Caspian Seas, and Afghanistan sits right in this belt between Iran or Persia and Russia. So the pieces are being placed on the chessboard for the final showdown. Now, Daniel makes a comment regarding the method of invasion. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, as we read, it's at the time of the end, the king of the south will push at him, and the king of the north will come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships, and he will enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Well, this is both a land and a sea invasion. Now, the nations of the northeast of Israel provide the land route. But Russia's ships are located at the port of Sevastopol in the Crimea, which it annexed in 2014, and also up in the Bering Sea. For a lightning invasion described by Ezekiel and Daniel, it's hardly likely that the Russian fleet located in the Bering Sea will sail past Sweden, Norway, Poland, Germany, Denmark, England... France, Spain, through the Straits of Gibraltar, and all the way across the Mediterranean. The journey from Murmansk in the Bering Sea to Tartus is 5,774 miles, and cruising at an average speed of 18 knots, the speed of its landing ships, it would take about 13 and a half days to reach its destination. Now, if you calculated it at a speed using a battle cruiser of 30 knots, it would take about eight days and would require many of the non-nuclear ships to refuel on the way. Well, from Sevastopol to Tartus is only 1,486 nautical miles and would take two days at sea traveling at 30 knots. This presents a bottleneck that has to be removed. Turkey is the last geographical hindrance to Russia's designs on the Middle East. It controls the Bosphorus Strait. The strait forms the continental boundary between Europe and Asia, and it is the world's narrowest strait used for international navigation, connecting the Black Sea with the Sea of Marmara through the Dardanelles to the Aegean and the Mediterranean Seas. Now, the city of Istanbul, formerly called Byzantium and before that Constantinople, straddles the Bosphorus Strait. This is Russia's route from Sevastopol in the Crimea, which it annexed in 2014, to the Mediterranean by water. Under a 1936 agreement called the Montreux Convention, it is Turkey who has the right to determine whose warships can pass through the Bosphorus Strait. 
Aircraft carriers are not allowed to pass through the strait, as warships can only pass through under a certain tonnage. To conduct the lightning raid described in Ezekiel with Daniel's many ships, it would require Turkey to be brought under Russia's control. Now, this is why Turkey... Heir to the Ottoman Empire, with Istanbul straddling straddling the Bosphorus, the former capital of Byzantine and Roman empires, it is stated as a target of Daniel's King of the North, the hymn against which the King of the North comes in Daniel 11 verse 1. Israel and Egypt become collateral damage as the King of the North overflows its original designs, traveling down into Egypt. As you read in verse 41, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab, the chief of the children of Ammon. And he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over many precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians shall be at his steps or marching alongside him. So after traveling through Israel, the glorious land, down into Egypt, an evil thought described by Ezekiel is consummated. After many days, in Ezekiel 38, verse 8, we read, Thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people, against the mountains of Israel, which have always been waste, but is brought forth out of the nations. And they shall dwell safely, all of them. Thou shalt ascend, and come like a storm, and shall be like a cloud to cover the land, thou and all thy bands, and many people with thee. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall come to pass that at the same time shall these things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil, to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods, and dwell in the midst of the land." So the king of the north returns to establish himself in the capital of Israel. We read in Ezekiel 11.44, Tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. And it's here that he meets his end. As we read in verse 45, Yet shall he come to his end and none shall help him. This will be when the Lord Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom and comes to rescue mankind from the clutches of ambitious fleshly men who will stop at nothing to increase their hold on power. As we read in Isaiah 2 verse 4, He shall judge amongst the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. We pray for that day when sorrow and sighing will flee away, when tragedies like we see unfolding in Afghanistan will be a thing of the past, and a king shall reign in righteousness. We see these events around us, tragic as they are, heralding the nearness of Christ's return, and crying out to us to look up and lift up our heads, trim our lamps, gird up our loins, and be as men that wait for their Lord, for our redemption draweth nigh. For the Bible in the news, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.